Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this podcast, I'm looking forward to discussing the connection between words, feelings, and our mental health with 14-year-old published poet, Jess Robus. Jess is an author, poet, and mental health activist. She's published her first book this year, a book of poetry called Slivers of Light. She's passionate about opening conversations on mental health, especially among teens. She speaks very openly about her experiences and challenges, making her very relatable. She's also an avid songwriter, debater, and performing arts aficionado. Jess is in grade 10, she lives with her mum, dad, and younger sister in Johannesburg, South Africa. And this accomplished young lady says she's terrified of geese. <laughs> Jess, <laughs> you are the youngest person to appear on my Win at Work and Life podcast yet at just 14 years of age, which makes this a very special podcast in and of itself. And we also share a mutual passion for words and for poetry. So I am truly looking forward to chatting to you today. Thank you, Nikki. I'm really looking forward to being here today. I'm so excited about this interview. And fun fact about me, my birthday actually happened just uh, two months after the book was released. And so everything has been saying 14 years old and I feel very bad when I have to correct people. I am now 15. See, this is the problem with time. Time marches on and we're always growing a little bit older and a little bit wiser. Mm -hmm. And now you're 15, when did you actually start writing poetry and what drew you to poetry? So the first, the first poem which I wrote for this book was, I wrote it when I was 11 years old. The first poem that I ever wrote, I was about nine, I was, I was in grade three. And my parents are people who are very interested in words and reading. We're all, we're all just a family of book nerds in <laughs> the Robus household. There are books everywhere. And so poetry has always been something that my parents have shared with me. When I was younger, it was things like, you know, rolled doll poems. And then as I got older, I progressed onto one of my favorite poets, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I just, I love her work so much. And there's something about the medium which really just, it just, it inspires something in me, how you can express something in such a way that the emotions are so clear that others can relate to them, can feel them, but at the same time, it's completely honest to what you're feeling. And I just, I love that about the medium. I love poetry and writing it and reading it. I absolutely get that. I've been a poetry lover since um, probably about the age of seven or eight years of age. And in the last couple of years, I've written about 250 poems, which I haven't published yet. So yeah, you're giving me good impetus to get it out there. But exactly what you're saying, to your point, words can strike a chord within you. They can evoke a feeling in you. Either you're expressing it outwardly because you are writing it, but if you're reading it, it can also help you to experience yourself in a different way. So where does your interest in mental health come from? So personally, I've had lots of experience with mental health. I, I'm an anxious person generally, so suffering anxiety and periods of depression. And more recently, I've 
been diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is an anxiety disorder. And so I've definitely felt uh, how mental illness and in particular untreated mental illness can affect people's lives. And then um, aside from just my own experiences, I've seen the impact of mental health in the lives of others around me, people that I care about, people that I love in my own age group, like my friends and and people older than me, like parents and relatives, and then just strangers. And I've seen that mental health is an issue which truly knows no boundaries. And so our support and address of it shouldn't know any boundaries either. So you talk about your peer group, obviously they're, they're teenagers. So what are some of the issues that teens are going through? And, and I know you've got some beautiful poems in this book and perhaps kick off this question by reading that particular poem that we identified a little earlier, because that's also part of the contradiction that teens live with. Of course. The poem in question is called Parent-Teacher Meetings, and I'll read it and then answer some of your questions. She thinks of that school assembly where the principal got up on stage and told her school to embrace their differences and that only then would they become who they were meant to be. She thinks of those parent-teacher meetings where in hushed tones, the adults discussed how she was different and should make an effort to fit in with her peers. She remembers sitting there so many times, thinking how wildly contradictory and vastly misjudged she had been. Yes, we should embrace our differences. Yes, they make us who we are, but uniqueness is not what she was striving for. The common cry is not to stand out, but to fit in, because it seemed so comfortable, so nice, so easy to be in a box with no jutting edges, no overspills, just a space where you fit, simple as that. Make me a box, she pleads silently. Shape me, mold me, fix me, make me unique, just like everybody else. And I think that it is so terribly sad that we are teaching children to make themselves into something that they are not to fit in. Or rather, that we are selling them no name brand uniqueness, just like everyone else. But we should be teaching them to go look for that place where they fit, where every rough edge and every nook and cranny click together. We should be teaching children that if they are a round peg in a square hole, they should carve out their own space, their own place, because not all jigsaw pieces have square edges. And yet, when put together, all of the broken parts form a whole. Ah, that is so beautiful. I mean, the line that really jumps out for me is, make me unique just like everyone else. Is that part of your experience? I think that it's as much a part of my experience as it is every teenager's and every person's experience. We've all got things about ourselves that feel different, that make us feel ostracized, whether that's, for me, it was um, my... I, I read a lot as a child and I didn't have many friends and I wasn't very good at the whole social interaction thing. <laughs> so that made me feel quite different from my peers. And in others, I know, especially in the teenage group, things like gender, sexual orientation, and things like academics, you know, it's very easy for all of these things to make you feel different from your peers. And really what all of us want is that sort of acceptance and the validation that comes with it make me unique you know like 
I, I'm different and I understand that. And I want, I want that to be accepted. I want those differences not to be something that sets us apart in a bad way, but rather something that the world just accepts me for. I think that every teenager feels fundamentally different from everybody else. And it's very hard to constantly feel like you're at odds with every single person in the world, especially yourself. I think you raise a very important point, and that is that being a teenager is a state of flux and change. Mm -hmm. It's a state of development and experiencing yourself in these new layers of adulting and becoming. And it's a process that takes time. And I think maybe as adults, we don't allow time for things to settle as you're discovering new things about yourself, there's time that's required uh, to get comfortable in this new space, in this new skin, because let's face it, you've got uh, hormones, you've got emotions, your body's changing, there's so much change. And as adults, I think we want a quick fix and we want it to be done now. And perhaps even as teenagers, you'd rather get through this uncomfortable phase as quickly as possible. And society doesn't oh, definitely really allow for time. Hmm. I think that the thing with society and society's treatment of, well, mental health and any sort of state that's not like perfect incandescent happiness is there are some things which are deemed society acceptable. Like if you go to mental health, uh, the public perception of things, it's like, oh, it's okay not to be okay if you're just, if you're sort of sad for a little bit or if you're anxious about things but just random things which make you quirky like there are some things that society has somehow somehow deemed to be okay like these caricatured features but only only in very specific ways and only for short amounts of times when any of the realness of anything starts showing through when anything that's too human too sore too difficult starts really coming to the surface then that's we that that's when we as society decide no that's too much now and i think that like you said nikki that's so much about what being a teenager is really it's dealing with uncomfortable feelings that you don't properly know how to address and can't get rid of and it's and like you said it's difficult when society wants you to just be this caricature of a human being with only specific traits that you can show in specific ways when you really don't want to do that Mm. Let's go back to the poetry. And when you're writing, I mean, do you find that you write, you can write to order? So you can sit down and just write? Or does something happen in your life that provokes the writing of a poem? So generally it's the latter. Generally, I'll be I'll be feeling something and I won't really know what that feeling is. I'll just know that there, there is a feeling. I can't really label it, and I'll sit down. And I'll write and whatever happens from there happens. I think I have as uh, as much of a guess as to what's going to happen in the poem as someone who's reading it for the first time. <laughs> but occasionally I can write to order. Occasionally I, I like writing prompts. And so I'll sit down and I'll tell myself, okay, we're going to write about this now. Like there was a very fun experience last year in April when uh, the wonderful musician Melinda Kathleen Reese this list of prompts out it was a challenge for people to write a song every day in April but according to very specific prompts like one day it was a song about color 
Another type, it was a song from the perspective of one of your favorite book characters. Another one was like a song in five four time. And so I sat down and I decided I was going to, um, I was going to write one of those every day according to the list. But generally poetry is something that happens to me. I don't normally want to do it. I think that as a, a writer and any writers who are listening, we can relate that write, writing, you don't control your writing generally. Writing just sort of decides one day that it's going to happen. Yeah, I feel that writing comes through me. Mm -hmm. I know we are called poets and authors, etc. But for me, the work is it's 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 being channeled through me. It's I'm just the vehicle. And my life experiences are those prompts, I guess, in a way. I didn't, I wasn't sure what word you used initially. Now I know it was prompts. And even when somebody was, is giving you that prompt of, you know, write a song about a color, that is evoking something in you. And either you feel it or you don't. When it's we definitely. feel things, it's so much easier to write it when you have a sense of feeling than it is to write it straight out of your head. And that's what makes your poetry so relatable to people is that it's written through the emotion of living and of experiencing mm -hmm. real life. It's not a, it's not a fantasy about this is, you know, a thought about life. It's stuff you've actually experienced. So um, experience always makes our words all the richer. Can you tell us about the title? So the title of your book is Slivers of Light. How did you, how did you come to call your book Slivers of Light? So the title of the book is also the titles of one of the last poems within my book. I think it's actually, it's, um, yes, sorry. I'm you can read there. it, yes. Um, you can read it. It's, it's actually a visual poem. So it's very, yes, it's the, I thought it's the last poem in the second last section in my book. So my book is divided into three sections. First called The Darkness, second called The Dawn, and third called The Day. And uh, the and the poem A Few Slivers of Light is the last poem in the section of the dawn. And then the section of the day only has one poem in it. But well, I mean, I'll show it to you and you'll be able to see, and the others will have to get a copy of the book for themselves. But <laughs> the poem is really just a sentence, but it's arranged to look like a rainbow reading from from left to right. And it says, I used to see a few slivers of light, but now I can see a rainbow. And I think that the whole theme of this book, it's really about my journey with mental health from going of a place of really dark depression and anxiety, not understanding what was happening to me and feeling like I couldn't control any of it, let alone express it to other people, to the end where I feel more in control and more hopeful. And I think that I ended up calling this book A Few Slivers of Light well, first off, because the title Ethereal, which was my working document title, was just a little bit too vague. There are too many books that have that in its titles. This is a bit more original. And also because I really believe that the core theme of this anthology is that sometimes a few slivers of light will be all you have, but sometimes they can be all you need. Sometimes all you have is a few good moments, not even good days within a period of depression. But then 
as you begin to get yourself out of that place, it's sort of like it's sort of like you're going from one sliver of light to the next until you get to a place where it's brighter. And so it's looking for that next sliver of light, working towards that next sliver of light. There's yes. a phrase that goes, this too shall pass. Mm. And it's a little bit like looking for the slivers of light. When my, my husband was killed, I became grief fit eventually. Over time, you become grief fit. And I guess with, with mental health, in a way, when you start understanding it, when you start owning your rhythms and knowing that when you go to those dark places, you've survived before and you will come out of it. Maybe you don't know how long it's going to be that you're in this dark place, but trusting that you will come out of it at some point. It's a bit like when they talk about the waves of grief that crash down on you when you've lost somebody. To begin with, those waves are very high and they come very frequently. And over time, when you get grief fit or you know what your rhythms are, they, they get further apart and the waves are slightly smaller. Does that uh, have any validity for you in terms of managing your mental health, taking responsibility for the space that you find yourself in? I think so. I think that Mental health, uh, like any physical ailment, is something that you can take steps towards to manage. For example, for me, I know that I do not function well if I don't get enough sleep, despite the fact that I'm um, an insomniac, so that's just great. But <laughs> so I can make an effort to do things, to like get to bed early, make sure I have enough sleep to actually be a human being whose brain doesn't feel like it's in fire all the time. But I think that one of the things with mental health and correct me if I'm wrong, with grief also sometimes, is that sometimes as much as you manage, it just, it happens. And you can try, you can do all of the planning in the world and it'll still show up. And I think one of the uniquely horrible things about anything which impacts you in an emotional sense is that you've got two problems at the same time. You've got the problem of feeling whatever it is you're feeling, whether that's feeling depressed or anxious or guilty or just feeling numb. And then you've got the problem of the, of the rational side of your brain or the, the societal side of your brain that's telling you, come on, snap out of this now. And that almost makes you feel worse. So it's like a catch 22 because the worse you feel, the more your brain's going to start yelling at you. But the more your brain starts yelling at you, the worse you feel. And so it can be difficult to get out of that cycle. But I think that what comes with managing your mental health and taking responsibility for it is the lesson that you have to learn, which is sometimes, sometimes all you can know is that it's going to get better. And that's all you've got. And it sucks. It's horrible when you're in a dark place and you feel like you're going crazy and you can't do anything about it. But I know when I get to those times, the best thing to do is lean on other people. You know, you've got support systems in place you can use them and you're not a burden on yourself, on society, on your friends for just taking that time to recuperate. What is very interesting at the moment with COVID and with large organizations who employ a lot of people is that they are telling me that they're starting to recruit people differently. 
and mm. they are looking for people who are prepared to put up their hand and ask for help. And I think this is a fundamental shift that is happening in the world where mental health and well-being is really on the agenda now. And it's accepted as a real part of life, even though you can't see it because it's invisible, so to speak, unlike a broken arm. We all go through stuff at different times of our lives. And I think it's very, very interesting that large organizations are starting to take note of this and that they're starting to look for people who have a supportability character trait. And you just said, you know, sometimes you just have to lean on the people who are around you, which actually means being vulnerable enough to put your hand up to say, I'm not coping right now and I need some support. And Oftentimes, people don't actually acknowledge how they're feeling and don't ask for support and suffer in silence. And in fact, I've just come off a group coaching session with 15 people from one of the major banks. And the most in control person in the room was the person who shared last. And her whole life has blown up as it does for everyone at some point in time. And it's so difficult for us to see ourselves in pieces. We, we want to see ourselves as whole and society wants to see us as whole. And so it gets a bit messy sometimes when we don't show up as whole. But the only way to pull ourselves through a dark time is to not do it alone, as you've said. There are times when you have to reach out and grab that life raft that's being offered to you. And you need to be okay with the fact that you do need support. And it's not a weakness. By the same token, we also have to participate in our own rescue. So, you know, you were saying, you know, that there are certain things that you need to do, like get enough sleep, like maybe you need to exercise, uh, maybe some breathing techniques and stuff like that, you know, whatever it is that you need to do, you need to do, uh, control the parts of it that you can control. But I think it's also understanding the triggers in your life, that, that there are certain things that maybe trigger an episode. Do you know what those are? Have you done enough, sort of, have you lived for long enough to know what your triggers are? Because you're so young. I think that I'm still in the process of figuring some of that out. But I know that uh, personally, I struggle with, well, obviously things like lack of sleep, like I've mentioned, then things like intense uh, intense stimuli, especially really loud noises. Oof, that, that gets me very, very anxious very fast. And then generally things that have to do with feeling like I'm keeping secrets I don't cope well if either I feel like I've disappointed somebody or I feel like I am keeping secrets and I'm being a bad person that's just something like I have a weird relationship with my brain I'll bring it up in conversation it sounds like I'm talking about an irritating roommate just like brain did this today but my brain really does seem to think that at any given time, everybody is going, are going to do, like every single person in my life is going to decide that they hate me and that I'm a bad person. And so that's something that I struggle with quite a lot. And, spe and specifically if things have happened, like I haven't got enough sleep or I've been in the middle of something like exam season, then those things sort of build together and culminate with 
with a whole lot of intrusive thoughts like you are a bad person and everything is going to come crashing down because of it so that makes me very anxious yeah and I think that that fear of rejection is a fundamental trigger in all human beings we all want to be accepted we all want to belong and so you're talking about almost a perfect storm happening inside your head where you think everybody's against you, the whole world's against you, and that you're rubbish. And uh, I think that that's probably a good mirror for a lot of teenagers and many, many adults uh, who have a fear of rejection. I think we all have it, and it gets triggered every now and again. And when it does, it hurts. It does. It definitely does. It's a horrible feeling. And... I sympathize greatly with any person who has to feel this because there are so many ways that you can feel rejected. There's, I think in a teenage context, there's academic validation, which is something that I know is a very big issue. Marks create such, such turmoil within somebody's mind if you feel like no matter what you're doing, you're just not quite good enough, not quite there yet. And things like body image, which affect everybody, And I know how sad it is to see people just looking at themselves and never quite liking it. And I know that personally, it's something that I do struggle with. I struggle with images of body issue and just, I mean, wow, with issues of body image. There's some spoonies in there. You, and you've had a long day at school, you see, and, uh, and aren't you on midterm break now? So you see, now you're yeah. suffering from what I call pop elastic band syndrome because the pressure's off. So now your brain has let go. So we'll absolutely forgive you for this. But what is interesting is the, the measurement. There's always a measurement. And let's go back to what we spoke about right at the beginning about time. We are not given time to become there's always this measurement and someone's always raising the bar before we've even settled where we were before. And I think one of the fundamental flaws of the kind of education system that we have is that it's not about the learning journey. It's about meeting criteria all the time. And body image is an interesting thing, especially when it comes to girls. We go back to the theme of time. Do you know that a girl's body does not settle into its final shape and form until around the age of 25 that's 10 years from now Jess 10 years you have 10 years to morph and change into the woman you're going to ultimately look like and we all worry about what we look like now it's bizarre isn't it it is it's definitely it's something that I think that a lot of things that we stress about are things that are almost ridiculous in a sense like you look you take a bit step back you remove the context of society and then it's like why why am I worried about this but then if you go back into the situation there are so many things there's obviously societal conditioning there's everything we've been taught to believe there's the thoughts inside of our own head there's reactions of those around us there are so many things which play into one's perception of oneself I mean I truly believe that we see ourselves, we have a perception of ourselves as somebody inside, be that good or bad. But then part of part of our perception is also how other people see us or how we think other people see us, you know? Like somebody may have, a, somebody may start off 
thinking of themselves as let's say let's say pretty like let's go with the girl option and then they get into the social social situation and society is telling them that they have to be thinner and girls at school are telling them that they have to have a bigger chest and they have to have like a tiny waist and then suddenly all of these things mix together and you have a skewed view of yourself due to all of the, these other perspectives which have been coming in social Ooh, media yes. as well that is projecting these visions of what you should look like at a certain age and as I said you've got another 10 years to settle into you know wherever wherever it is you're going what you're actually going to look like so it's really warping our own sense of self yeah it is I think I've got a complicated relationship with social media because obviously there's the downsides like you were mentioning warping the perception of self and putting out these idealistic hopes and idealistic sort of templates for what the perfect life and perfect person should be. Then on the other side, I think there are lots of tangible benefits to social media. Like there's the opportunity to make real meaningful relationships and to share information and to share stories. Mental health and the ability to share support through social media is something which I think it's a unique benefit of the digital age which comes with its own set of harms. But I think that we can't entirely negate these benefits. <laughs> well, we're kind of talking about entanglement. So can you read us that beautiful poem that's on the back of your book? Of course. This is one of my short ones, everybody. It says, we were a tangled yarn of contradictions and it was only a matter of time before we unraveled. That's so poignant. And Thank you. we do live with a lot of contradictions. That's part of being human. There's lots of ambiguity. There's lots of paradoxes. There's lots of contradictions. And if you think about it, you know, love and hate exist together. Happiness and sadness exist together. If we didn't have one, we wouldn't know what the other one felt like if we didn't have the extremes in our lives. What are some of the favorite topics that you write about? You know, we've, we've talked quite a lot about mental health and inner conflict what other topics do you write about and I think you know you don't just do poetry you do lots of other things like songwriting I do I love writing songs I also sometimes I write prose I don't do it as much as poetry but it's definitely something that I enjoy I think that uh in my in my prose, I like writing about time travel. I think that's very interesting. It's something that definitely piques my interest. And so I write about that a decent amount. I also really enjoy writing fan fiction, which is where you take characters from a certain franchise and then you either write a continuation of the story or you deviate and you maybe say, what would have happened if, say, this person did this instead of what they actually did in the canon work? or you put them into a new situation. So I like that. And then in my songwriting, my mom has poked a decent amount of fun at me because when I was younger, just a couple of years ago, when I started, I loved the metaphor of blood on my hands. It's really so visceral. It's so, you can picture it so clearly and the emotions associated with it, the guilt, the sort of desperation and the feeling of never being able to get rid of the remainder of what had just happened. It was really something that I enjoyed using in my writing. I also write comedy songs, um, which you wouldn't guess based off of that last sentence. <laughs> well, at least we can say you're very balanced. Thank you. <laughs> and 
talk to us about your life on the stage. I think that drama and performing, singing, it's a huge part of my life and it serves as another emotional outlet. Like if poetry is me being exactly who I am in a specific moment, if that's a true reflection of whatever I'm feeling at that time, then the stage is an opportunity for me to take what I'm feeling and, and use it to be somebody else for a little bit. I recently went to the South African Championships of Performing Arts, and it was honestly, <laughs> it was one of the best experiences I've had in, in quite a while. It was wonderful to get to perform with my incredible team. It was, it was just lovely to be able to interact with them, to sing some original songs, to do some, to do some drama, to get to express my emotions in a different format. And I really just, I love everything that comes with performing. Oh, that's absolutely awesome. So you sing, you write songs, you act. And did I see somewhere that you debate? I do debate. I play piano and play you can I debate. And debating is, it's a new thing. I only started it in grade eight, so two years ago. But also it's so incredible. My amazing schools, uh, school has a debating team run by the incredible coach. Her name's Miss Churchard, and she also teaches um, she also teaches English for grade eights and grade nines. But Ma'am just is amazing, and she she makes such a wonderful environment for debating. You know where we can learn how to argue and also make friends, make their incredible relationships formed within the people on the teams. And then also just learn more about random things because to be a debater you have to have you have to have a decent grasp of a lot of real world events like you have to know a little bit about the economy a lot about feminism and its impacts in the global sphere and different branches of it you need to know about sports and gender politics and actual politics oh so much fun my goodness jess you're only 14, 15, sorry, stand to correct you. 15, and you're already talking about these very, very big topics that uh, most adults probably haven't even got an opinion on. I think the great thing about debating is that, you know, you said you make friends. I think you learn to make friends with people maybe who have a different opinion to you, because in debating, you have to take one side or the other. Even if you don't agree with it, you've got to play the part. You've got to debate that 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 side of the argument and it's a good lesson in the fact that not everybody agrees and that doesn't mean you don't have to be friends yes definitely in debating i think it's actually amazing within the practices when you have all of us who work together uh, who are divided up now in these practice sessions and we debate emotion and you so you're debating against your friends and your teammates but there's no hard feelings because there can't be because you have to work together. You like these people. And it's lovely just to see how that can work. It's wonderful to get to spend time with people in a space where everyone knows that even if I'm saying that you're wrong and what you're saying is wrong, that 10 minutes later, we can still be hanging out and still be friends. Yeah, absolutely. So what are your hopes and dreams for your future? That is an interesting question, Nikki. I think that. Right now, I want to be writing performing in my future. I would love to 
go and study overseas uh, in the UK. I'd love to study at Durham University. It has an incredible English program and I'd love to study English and creative writing there. And then after that, I'd really love to go into writing for television, writing things like screenplays and developing character arcs. That's always something that's interested me. Or maybe writing soundtracks for television. Really, I just love film media. And obviously I'll keep poetry on the back burner, but really I just, I love being able to share stories with people in such a different medium. Like film is really, when done right, it can be so elegant and so touching. And I'd love to be a part of that. Also love to do things like write monologues for Saturday Night Live because I've seen some of their stuff and some of it is very good. And comedians like John Mulaney got their start there and he's just very good at writing. And so really, I, when I think about my future, I just think about being with the people that I love and writing. Well, I think that you really do allow yourself to be inspired by life and inspired by very specific people. You follow specific people, you watch their genres, you watch what they do, how they do it. And not everybody is teachable. Not everybody is open enough to explore themselves by watching other people. And I think it's a beautiful trait that you've got that's going to take you far. Thank you. Writing is such a broad skill. It's, it's a wonderful skill to have. And you're so open that you're going to go wherever your heart leads you, but it'll be writing one way or another, no doubt. And it'll be words, words, words. And mm. what fun. Most young people by 17 or 18 haven't isolated their passion. What fun to know what it is that makes you tick that's sort of part of the breath that you breathe every single day. And I just wish you so much joy and so much luck with everything that you're doing. Do you have any closing comments before I wrap up? First off, I just want to thank you again so much for having me and giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts and my opinions. I really do appreciate it. And then I uh, just want to address any teens and parents of teens who may be listening. I want to say that mental health is a complicated issue. It's something which so often doesn't play by rules. And just by the nature of the fact that it's going on inside of, inside of your brain, it's chemical responses that impact your emotions. It's going to be difficult and it's going to be, it's going to be sore, honestly. And so I want to say to anybody who's going through this, you are valid and what you're going through is real. It's something that's happening and it's something that you can get through. And I want to encourage you to lean on your peers and lean on your loved ones. Parents, I want to encourage you to listen to your children and to create an open environment where mental health can be talked about and can be supported. And then I just want to say to everybody that you're not alone, whatever it is you may be going through. Jess, thank you so much. I think what struck me about this conversation has been the power of vulnerability, of acknowledging where you find yourself, and that you need to find an outlet for self-expression. It's very important when there's so much going on in your head and your heart, that you have a constructive way of expressing it. And for some people that's going to be long distance running. And for other people like you, it's using words and manipulating words. 
but please find out what it is for you that helps you to express yourself and helps you to heal yourself and you've shown us that you can carve out a unique path for yourself and you don't have to be like everybody else and it's a reminder that we all need to write our own narrative write our own story rather than coloring in the picture like you expect the world wants you to do so i just find you've got such an elegant and mature way of expressing who you are and your very strong opinions about the world and i hope that slivers of light does extremely well Thank you. just know that i think that your book is a beacon of hope for people and i loved what you said about how you named the book that slivers of light can turn into a rainbow and i'm going to close off at this point by just saying if you want to get hold of jess's book you can get it directly from her at jessrobus r-o-b-u-s dot com and i've popped contact details for jess into the podcast show notes so please support her go and purchase her book thanks again jess for joining us today and inspiring us to find a way to connect with ourselves and take charge of our own mental health all through the eyes of a talented and articulate 15 year old to our listeners please send through your comments questions and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com you're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too <laughs>